14 more generations between David and the Babylonian exile. And 14 generations later, the great king would be born. A 2,000 year lineage comprised of slaves and kings, heroes and adulterers, prophets and prostitutes. They were the faithful and the faithless. So what kind of king would this be? While many dreamed of the day this king would come, it began as a real-life nightmare for one man. A good man, with God's lot cast upon him. Joseph. 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 I promise you, Joseph, I am telling you the truth. I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm just saying... I don't know if I do. So, what are you saying? She's pregnant! I haven't been with her! The baby's not mine! Take Mary as your wife. I can't do this! I don't... I don't want to hurt her. But I... I can't. Joseph, you are a descendant of David. Your ancestors have taken great steps of faith, and now it is time for you to step out. Take Mary as your wife. But the baby is... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is prophecy fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah. dream, a heavenly visitation, and what was distressing became a blessing, a blessing that would challenge Joseph's faith, demand every ounce of his character, and forever alter the course of his life and yours. God with us. What kind of king would this be? I suppose many of you do what I do all the time. I type things into Google. 
when I have questions. And this week, as I was considering this story of Joseph, I typed into Google the, uh, into Google the following question. What should you consider in picking the parents to adopt your baby? What if you were pregnant and you decided you wanted to have the baby, but you did not want to raise the baby and you got to pick the adoptive parents? What would you look for? Well, so I, I typed that into Google and of course I got lots of answers. This one was called Tips for Choosing Parents to Adopt Your Baby. They said, don't rush. They said, look for red flags. Some others said you must consider maybe the region of the country they come from, what their religious background is. Another site said, remember, you're in control. Do a background check. Check out the family dynamics and their family values. What would you, what would you do? What would you do if you had a baby and you decided it was not best for you to raise the baby, but you got to pick the parents who would raise your baby? What would you look for? Maybe you'd look for a certain age range, you know, probably younger, maybe you'd want them to be a little bit more mature, who knows? You'd probably um, want them to have some financial money. You don't want to uh, let your baby grow up in a poor, really poor situation, perhaps. Maybe you'd say, well, I want them to be real smart and to have a good educational background because maybe they'll pass that on to their child. You'd want them probably to be physically quite healthy. You'd probably could be concerned about their psychological stability, maybe their uh, religious beliefs, how strong the marriage bond is. There are all kinds of things you'd look for, wouldn't you? But now let me ask you this question. What if you were God? You see, in the story of Joseph, God got to pick who would be the adoptive father of his son. God got to pick. And by the way, I also typed into Google this week, who in America adopts the most? Do you know what the answer is? Christians. Overwhelmingly, those who adopt in America today are those who are, are Christians, which is, I would say, say good news. But what if you were God and you had to pick one person or one family out of all the people on this earth and that's the family you're going to pick. That's the man you're going to pick to be the adoptive father of your child. And this is God, not me. Who would you pick? What would you look for? Someone smart? Someone rich? Someone famous? Someone of really good health? Someone who's sophisticated, someone who's got a good education, who's got a really good job, makes a lot of money, who would you pick? What would you look for? It's a pretty important question because God himself had to answer that question. And you know who he picked. He picked Joseph. I named this sermon today the unsung hero of Christmas. Because we, when we talk about the Christmas story, we talk about, of course, Mary and the baby Jesus. We talk about donkeys and cows. We talk about Bethlehem. We talk about shepherds. We talk about wise men. But probably somebody we don't talk about much is Joseph. You know why? He doesn't say a single word. We don't have one word this man ever said recorded for us in the Bible. We don't know of anything. But we got this brief story of how he became selected as the father of Jesus. And remember, 
He's not his biological father. He's an adoptive father. Why would God pick this man? Well, let's try to find out. Here's how Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 read. This is the story of Christmas in the Gospel of Matthew. And by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells the Christmas story, and Luke gives us the longer Christmas story. The Luke Christmas story focuses mainly on Mary, but the Matthew Christmas story focuses on Joseph. Obviously, Mary's there because she gives birth to Jesus, but the story focuses on Joseph because he is a very key player. This is the man who is picked as the adoptive father of Jesus by God himself. So, what is he like? Here's what we read in the Bible. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It begins with good news. Mary's pledged to be married. In that society, marriage had three steps. The first step was the two families got together and figured out how much money they were going to have to give to each other because it was kind of a bargaining arrangement. First it was the families agreed that these two could get married. Then they had what was called the betrothal or the engagement. The engagement was when they had a public gathering and they said, my son, my daughter are pledged to be married to each other. Once that happened, they were in a sense married, but no sex. It was not allowed. And that took place a year before they actually got married. But in order to break an engagement, you had to get divorced. Not so in America, but that's the way it was there. And then the third step in it, in the marriage, was when you had the big party, the big marriage party. And after that, of course, they were officially, legally married. Three steps, families agree, engagement, and the wedding ceremony. What this story takes place is the families had agreed and they had already been engaged. But now it was found that Mary was pregnant. Now that's a problem because if you were, got pregnant during the betrothal period, especially from somebody who wasn't the one that you were engaged to, that was uh, under the Mosaic law, that was considered adultery. And under the law of Moses, they would be stoned to death. That was the penalty. Pretty severe, I know. And so, Mary comes to Joseph, as we saw in the video, and says, uh, Joseph, um, I'm pregnant. Now, Joseph knows about the birds and the bees, and he also knows he didn't do it. So there's only one conclusion. Somebody else. Somebody else did it. It doesn't take much imagination to, to think of what was going through Joseph's mind. Obviously, Mary had cheated on him. That's what happened. We call that a jilted lover. 
So what did I do? I went to Google and tried to figure out what, how do jilted lovers normally respond? That's what I typed into Google, and this is what they said. They said, one, you feel sad. That's no surprise. Of course you would. Secondly, you feel angry. Again, if you got jilted, you'd feel angry. Third, you feel lonely. Fourth, you feel remorseful. Fifth, you feel humiliated. But this one is entitled The Psychology of a Jilted Lover. And it says this, among the crimes committed in Delhi, this is India, crimes born out of love have reached an epidemic proportion. It's called a jilted lover syndrome. In India, even today, if this happens to you, somebody kills you. That's pretty serious. So here's Joseph. Obviously, he's sad, he's angry, he's lonely, he's remorseful, he's humiliated, but he never had the thought, I'm going to have her killed. In fact, it could have happened. He could have backed away and said, hey, wasn't me, I never did it. Do with her what you want. But remember, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. Now, what would a righteous person do? What would a person do who follows God? Well, you've got a problem here. On the one hand, the law says what she did is she cheated, she's an adulteress, and she should be punished. On the other hand, the law teaches that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, truth would say what she did is wrong and she should be punished, but grace would say, but I love her, and I don't want to see her get hurt. So what does a righteous person do? You see, Joseph was a man of integrity. He knew that he could not go through with the marriage because he'd been cheated on, and he's been made into an idiot in his society. And, but on the other hand, he couldn't bear the thought of shaming Mary publicly, so he decided that he was going to go to the court, sign the divorce document, and not tell too many people about it. And maybe eventually it would go away, and I guess he'd find somebody else. That was his plan. When God chose a man who would be the father for his son, he picked a man who was able to put together both grace and truth, mercy and justice. Those are hard to put together. Justice says you must give a person what they deserve. Grace says you don't give a person what they deserve. What are you going to do? Um, you know what, the most, they say the most um, well-known Christian song in America today is Amazing Grace. Most of us probably know that song, we've heard it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, etc. But you may not know what the word grace means. Grace means you get what you don't deserve. I like to express it this way. If, if this, my Bible, was a hot oven, you know, you have those ovens that don't have a flame, they're electric, and they turn red, and they're very hot, and you say to your child, child, you cannot, after I cook something, you cannot touch that stove, it will burn your hand. 
and you cook something and you, you turned off the oven and your child comes and puts their hand right on the stove and they burn their hand. And what do they do? They start screaming. Why? Because it hurts. Now justice would tell you if they burned their hand after you told them not to do it, you just look at your child and say, hey, you got what you deserve. I told you not to. You did it. Now you're getting the consequences of what you did. That's called justice. Now you wouldn't do that as a mom or dad. I know you. None of you would do that. But this is what you would do. If your child, you told them not to do that, they put their hand on that stove, they burned their hand, and they're starting to scream because it hurts so much, you'd take your precious child in your arms, maybe you'd go over to the sink and put their hand under cold water. You'd try to ease the pain because you love them. They disobeyed you, but you still care about their pain. That's called mercy. That mercy means you see someone in pain and it hurts you and you want to do something to help them. But that's not grace. This is grace. Grace is you tell your child, don't touch that stove or that, 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 that oven range. And they put their hand on it, they burn their hand, and they're screaming in pain. You take them to the sink, you, you put it under cold water, you try to ease the pain. And as soon as the pain has subsided, you say, let's get into the car, let's go to Dairy Queen. I'm going to get you the biggest ice cream I can find. That's grace. They disobey you, they hurt themselves, and what do they get? Ice cream. That's unmerited favor. If you had one word to describe the whole Bible, that is the one word you'd have to pick, grace. God does not treat us as we deserve. He treats us with undeserved favor. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what this baby that Joseph is going to take care of, that's what he was going to do. He was going to take the pain, the suffering, all the pain that our sin deserved. He took it on himself on the cross. That's what it's all about. Here, Joseph was a man, a righteous man. He could take both truth and grace, justice and mercy, because the Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and mercy, and you try to put them both together. Oh, there are people all over there, many religious people like me, maybe. We stand for the truth of God's word, follow God's truth, but they have no grace. They're not gracious. On the other hand, there are people who are very gracious. Oh, lovey, 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 we love you for everything, but they have no sense of truth. You can't do that. God says he is full of both grace and truth. Joseph put them together. You have to keep them together. And so when God picked a, a father for his child, he picked a man who could, who could put grace and truth together. That's amazing. Well, that's the first characteristic. And so Joseph decided that he is going to quietly divorce Mary and find somebody else. But he went to sleep that night. Here's what the Bible says next. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, remember he's going to get rid of her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, come on. Come on. Do you see what God is asking of this guy? I mean, come on, we know the birds and the bees. And we, we know how babies are made. And we know it doesn't happen this way. We know that. And so God says, no, no, Joseph, th this boy is not normal. This is a birth unlike any other birth this world has ever seen. It's a miracle. Mary was not involved with another man. The Holy Spirit was involved. This is God's son. Now that's a lot to swallow. But then you think, hey, as a father, at least I get to name my child. No, God's not going to let him do that either. He says, your child's name is going to be Jesus, which means God is salvation. I love the fact how appropriate. We, hadn't, we didn't plan this, but what Christina told me last week about um, Ezra, amazing, a dream, the same thing. You're going to have a boy, and James, you didn't get to pick the name. <laughs> What's that? Oh, he didn't get the first name. He got the middle name. Is that right, Christina? Yeah. I mean, who picked the name? God did in a, in a dream of all things. Well, it's the same thing here. In a dream, Joseph was told by God, you're going to have a son. That's before amniocentesis or reveal parties. You're going to have a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And by the way... He's going to be born of a virgin. Yeah, right. Now, that is amazing. Now, why would God pick someone like this? Well, one of the reasons God said, oh, this man's Joseph. He could have been a hard-hearted idiot. He could have been a man who had no spiritual sensitivity at all. He could have been a bad man. But here was a man who was sensitive to the voice of God. I'm going to use you again, Christina, as an example. You could have had that dream and you simply dismissed it. Easily. You could have done that. You could have had that dream and the next day you completely forgot it. Or you could have remembered the dream and said, oh, that was stupid anyway, so I'm not going to do anything about it. You could have done that. But you didn't. Why? Because there's a certain level of sensitivity to the voice of God. And God knew this man, Joseph, it's going to be a hard sell because this guy's a realist, but I think he, he'll, he'll listen. And so God sent him an angel in a dream and told him that he was be, going to be given a baby by the name of Jesus. Now, this is extraordinary for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't know if you know this, but... God had been silent for 400 years. There were no prophets for 400 years. That's way longer than the history of America. No prophets from the time of Malachi the prophet till the time of John the Baptist. There were no prophets. So God wasn't speaking to people. Besides, um, Dreams are not the normal way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us normally through the Bible, but not through um, angels in a dream. Moreover, 
What the angel revealed to, to Joseph was com contrary to common sense. Who's going to believe that a virgin got pregnant? You know that's not true. So God really tested this guy, and he got an A+. God was in the business of finding a man who was sensitive to God's voice. And Joseph was that man. Have you heard God's voice? I don't know. I've never heard his voice audibly. Maybe you have. I don't have very many dreams, so I've never really been talked to by God from a dream. I do, I do take a lot of, of guidance from the Bible. I have many times in my life had a sense, I, call, I think it's from the Holy Spirit, of what to do or what not to do. Sometimes I obey and sometimes I disobey. I've had that. But I think God is looking for people who are sensitive to His voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of His Word, the voice of an angel. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews, it says this, be sure that you're kind to strangers. Here's why. Because some of you have entertained angels and you don't even know it. Some of those people to whom you were kind, you think they're just a stranger on the street, is actually an angel in disguise. The Bible tells us that. Well, Joseph didn't get an angel in disguise. He got an angel in a dream. And when the angel told him to take Mary, because the baby inside was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and that this boy's name would be Jesus, Joseph got married. Now, why would he do that? I mean, if, if that happened to me, and my wife said, you know, I'm pregnant, and I know I didn't do it, I wouldn't believe her, come on. Unless, unless perhaps deep back in my brain, I remembered that God had said something about a virgin having a baby. Did you know that that happened? Actually, it happened at the time of Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. So let's go back. If you go back 500 years, you go back to the time of Martin Luther or Michelangelo, or you go back to the time of Leonardo da Vinci. There's about 550 years ago. You go back to Christopher Columbus, 1492. He sailed the oceans blue. Those are only 500, 600 years ago. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. This is verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So maybe in the back, way back in the, the recesses of Isaiah's, uh, of, of, of Joseph's mind, he thought, you know, I do remember that crazy verse. I remember in Sunday school class or Sabbath school, I, 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 I heard that verse. I thought, that's crazy. Virgins don't get pregnant. But he 
said, but God said that 700 years ago. And Isaiah is the prophet more than any other who tells us about the Messiah that was going to come one day. And he said that a virgin would get pregnant and have a son, and that son would be God with us. Woo. That's amazing. And by the way, I don't know where you all are coming from, but you better think about that one. Because let's say Leonardo da Vinci, if he made a statement 500 years ago when he was alive, saying that uh, someone named Thomas Olaf Hovestal would be born one day, and here I show up, I'd take him seriously. Or if he said, uh, and uh, this guy named Thomas is going to be born from his mother, and she's a virgin. I'd really take him seriously if that actually happened. And it actually happened. Whoa. You see, Joseph was a man who took God at his word. Somewhere he remembered that God had made a promise that one day the Messiah would be born from a virgin who would have a baby, and that baby would be God present on earth with human beings. God promised that 700 years before it happened. So what's he going to do? What's Matthew going to, I mean, what's uh, Joseph going to do? Well, here's what happens, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So what did he do? He could have woken up and dismissed the dream, saying it's just weird. Say, hey, Mary, I had this weird dream. He could have said, hey, I'm not taking that road because no matter what I say, people are going to say that I was messing around on the side or Joe Schmo was doing this. There's no way people are ever going to believe me. There's no way people are ever going to believe my wife. I know that. But he didn't. He said, okay, I'll do it. He took Mary as his wife, and when the baby boy was born, he gave him the name Jesus. That's pretty amazing. The Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. This is what Jesus said. If you have my commandments and you keep them, I'll love you, and you'll be loved by my Father, and we will show ourselves to you. There's a key connection between obedience and God giving you more information. And so Joseph decided to take Mary as his wife, and the result was the baby Jesus. You see, Joseph is often the forgotten member of the Christmas story, but we need to remember him because he was pretty significant. Someone wrote this. Joseph's biggest claim to fame is who he wasn't. We know him as not the real dad of Jesus. Scripture also renders Joseph conspicuously silent. He utters not one recorded word. As a result, Joseph is often either glossed over or is the subject of our conjecture. Yet perhaps Joseph's non-contribution is the very thing God would have us remember. This man's most significant role 
is his apparent lack of one. Why would God pick this man to be the father of his son? Well, first of all, because Joseph was a righteous man, a good man, who was able to mingle God's truth and God's grace, God's justice and God's mercy, a very hard assignment. He did it beautifully. He was also a man who was spiritually sensitive to the voice of God. When God communicated this incredible message off the charts, a virgin getting pregnant, he took God at his word. He's sensitive to the voice of God. And in the back of his mind, he remembered that this, in fact, is the fulfillment of the promise God had made 700 years previous. He took God's promises seriously. And what did he do? He put faith to his faith. He not only believed what God said, but he lived in light of it. He took Mary as his wife, and the result was Jesus. Simple virtues that we can have too. God's picked us as well. He's picked us maybe for some assignment, who knows what it is, but who does he pick? First of all, he picks people who know that our righteousness comes from God. We don't earn it, we receive it. And when we do, we have to wrestle for the rest of our lives with combining the truth of God's word and the grace of God's heart. He picks people and develops people who are sensitive to his voice through his word, through dreams, through the Holy Spirit. He picks people who are willing to take God's promises, even 700-year-old promises, and stands on them as if they are true because they are true. And he, take, he chooses people who, when God communicates, they step out in faith and they do what God said. And so this day, as we prepare ourselves for the big day next week, the day of Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I ask you this question, do you know him? Do you know this baby whose name Jesus means God is our salvation? And his other name, Emmanuel, which means God is here with us. The genius of Christianity is that God has taken the penalty for sin that we deserve. He paid it all. And he doesn't ask us to earn it because we can't. He doesn't ask us to merit it because we can't. He doesn't ask us to go to church or pay money. He asks us to receive a gift that we know we don't deserve. If you think you deserve it, you don't get it. And by the way, you're not going to pay someone for giving you a Christmas gift. The only thing you can do with a gift is receive it and say, thank you. That's what God asks of us as well. Have you received it? Please, the greatest thing you could ever do this Christmas is to receive the gift of salvation from God. And you receive it by simply saying, I don't deserve it, I know I need it. Oh God, I believe Jesus died on that cross for me. And I want that to be part of my life. That's what we did in these baptisms. We proclaim that the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this unsung hero, how you picked him and how precious his life is.
Oh, Father in heaven, I pray that these people here today, every one of us would be one who are just deeply, deeply moved by the person and the work of Jesus who died for us. Oh, present heavenly Father, please help us to see the great gift you gave to us and accept it by faith. That would be the best Christmas gift we could ever get. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Watch now what is titled Joseph's Song as we conclude.
Please stand with me as we give our benediction a blessing. The blessing I give to you this day is taken from the Gospel of John. This is written by Jesus' best friend on earth, John. As he reflected on the life of Jesus, who he called the Word, he said this, The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God bless you.